Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. What's up, legends? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I've got an extremely fun and interesting episode for you today. Uh, I had the opportunity to have a chat with the nutritionist or the dietitian from Keep It Cleaner, Marika Day. Uh, she's an extremely, extremely knowledgeable person. Um, and not only does she work with Keep It Cleaner, she does a whole bunch of other stuff as well, which you'll hear about in the show. Um, but I'm going to have all the links to her social media and also her blog, which is extremely informative in the show notes below. Uh, but we cover a lot of things today, uh, ranging from gut health to whether or not uh, gluten is bad, for you what Marika's uh, opinion and view on um, eating in a calorie deficit for fat loss is, a number of the nutritional myths that she hears very often and also we finish the show off with the one piece of information that she wishes more people knew about nutrition. So there's lots in today's episode that you do not want to miss. If you enjoy the show, as always, please do take a screenshot and tag us both uh, on your Instagram story. We'd love to get some feedback from you guys. Uh, But for now, let's just get stuck into the interview. All right, Marika, welcome to the show. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I've been wanting to do this one for a while, so I think it's going to be going to be cool. And I'm sure there's a lot of um, listeners to the show that are doing the Keep It Cleaner program, um, and as well, I've just seen a lot of your stuff on social media, and um, you're a very knowledgeable person. So I'm sure today we'll, we'll get through some good stuff. Oh, thank you so much. Now, I spoke about it a little bit in the intro already, uh, but do you want to give us a quick rundown on what it is exactly that you do um, and kind of how you got into um, the industry in the first place? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm a dietitian and nutritionist and I work primarily um, in sort of two different fields, actually. So I do a lot of gut health work, so a lot of IBS work, and that's, um, I guess, primarily my clinic um, side of things. And then I also do a lot of work for um, other companies, so companies that keep it cleaner, uh, as well as some uh, other companies, including food companies and those sorts of things. So I've got sort of two arms to my business. Um, The reason I got started in this industry, I actually got started after I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And um, I saw the influence that diet had on my entire lifestyle. And obviously, you know, being celiac, it would have a big influence. Um, and to me, it was just fascinating to understand that the foods that we can eat can have such an influence on our mood, uh, on our symptoms, and generally just our life in whole. So um, that's what sort of delved me down that track. I already had a huge interest in food and food, a massive foodie at heart. So it sort of all <laughs> fell naturally for me. That's awesome. And so, what I wanted, the first thing I actually wanted to ask you is because this, um, gut health, like the term gut health gets thrown around so much now in the, yeah. the health industry. And I feel as though it's just kind of used in way, oh, it's kind of, yeah, it's used in ways that aren't even what gut, gut health actually is. So can you give us and the listeners a, uh, a explanation of what gut health actually is? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually don't like using the term because it's become such a like fatty term, but I'm mm. yet to come up with a better term for it. So <laughs> watch this space. Hopefully I'll come oh. up with a better term. Um, but what I would describe gut health is, is I guess the 
influence that our gut and our microbiome has on our um, health as a whole. So whether that be, you know, things like inflammation, whether it be things like your symptoms. So um, IBS is a great example there. Um, and I guess the role that I play in that is looking at how is your diet implement, influencing those sorts of things. So when we look at gut health, the biggest contributor to a healthy gut is fiber, for example. So fiber is pretty much the foundation of a healthy gut. And when you look at some of the trends and everything that's coming around with gut health, fiber does not come out to be the first and foremost thing. And I've even seen like things like keto diets and um, you know, all of these other things that are targeted towards gut health yet they're minimizing the importance of fiber. So it sort of completely removes <laughs> the element of gut health from there. So, um, yeah, to me, I guess the, the definition of gut health is having a microbiome that is diverse and that is assisting you in terms of your health rather than um, having negative impacts in terms of your health. Yeah, I love that. And another thing that I will mention as well, nice and early on, is one thing that I really like about your content and what you're about is it even says in your Instagram bio, I think, that you are very much evidence-based in the stuff that you actually promote and bullshit-free, which is one of my favourite things. Absolutely. And those who listen to the show, no, I'm exactly the same. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and so there's what do you too think? much out there. This is, sorry, you go. There's too much bullshit out there, so I'm very happy uh, to be on the opposing team. <laughs> You're telling me. Um, so what, what do you think, um, I guess, fiber, by the sounds of it, is one of the biggest ones, but what do you think are some of the things that, uh, that a lot of people are doing or not doing that is having a negative impact on their gut health? Because it is so important. Yeah, so from a food perspective, fiber has been shown time and time again to be like the number one thing for yeah. gut health. And what it's showing with the fiber is that a variety of different types of fibers is the most important from that. So it's not just about getting all of your fiber from vegetables, for example, or from, you know, yeah. one type of vegetable. It's about getting that huge variety across, you know, nuts, seeds, whole grains and vegetables and fruits. Um, so from a food perspective, that's been shown to be hands down like time and time again to be the number one thing. There is a lot of other factors that do come into it. So things like um, the fat composition of your diet. So um, saturated fats versus unsaturated fats and omega-3s also. Um, there are lifestyle factors that play a big role. So things like exercise, smoking, alcohol, and um, a really big one that I am really interested in is um, stress and the effect mm -hmm. of stress and uh, anxiety and those sorts of things on the gut as well. Because of the, in, like the increase in cortisol levels, do you think that has a direct impact on it? Yeah, so there's a few mechanisms which they look at between the gut and the brain. So it's called the gut-brain axis, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. But um, the hormones is one aspect of the way that they communicate, so through things like cortisol and serotonin. But it's also through the nervous system as well and also through um, signaling from byproducts essentially of the breakdown of fibers so um, short chain fatty acids is the name and they communicate directly with the brain as well so there's several mechanisms through which stress can influence the gut and the gut can then also influence you know your mood and those sorts of things but um, yeah certainly cortisol is one of those yeah right and so you mentioned before about uh being celiac yeah 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 so 
Something that I get a lot or what I hear a lot, and I'm sure you would hear the same thing as well, is that for those people that have, you know, been eating gluten um, their whole life and then all of a sudden cut it out completely, let's say for eight to 10 weeks, they do some form of challenge or whatever, they're, whatever they're, they're doing and then they reintroduce it uh, after they finish and then all of a sudden their body's not responding the way that it was before and then in their eyes they are gluten intolerant or celiac. Intolerant, what, yeah. What's your whole opinion on that? Um, do you think well, firstly, they can't take it out for so long, then bring it back in that their body is just not used to it, or do you genuinely think that they are now intolerant to it? Yeah, so um, definitely is not likely that they're intolerant to it. Hundred uh, percent, mm. they won't have developed celiac disease through that <laughs> unless they obviously had it before. Yeah. Um, what can happen in that circumstance? So our microbiome is very uh, temperamental is the right word, but I can't think of a better word. But it's <laughs> essentially adjusts really quickly to your diet. So for example, if you eat a really low fiber diet, then you eat a really high fiber diet by the next day, you actually can see changes in the microbiome. So, you know, changes in the different types of bacteria that we have in our gut. So it's really responsive to changes in the diet. And so what this can then mean in terms of like food intolerances and food sensitivities is that when you exclude a food for a certain period of time, your gut can actually, and the bacteria that's uh, assist in the breakdown of that can actually reflect that change in your diet. So okay. for example, if you're reducing something down, what might happen is, and this is, you know, there's a small amounts of evidence around this, but we're sort of building in this area. Um, what can happen is that the bacteria that, you know, love to break down that food or that, you know, nutrient, for example, might be reduced over that period of time that you're excluding it because they're not getting it. So therefore they, you know, die off and you have less of them. Then you introduce a lot of it. And so typically what happens with those challenges, for example, is that you go without and then, you know, once it's over, it's like, well, here we are again. Like, let's go like burgers. Like, oh, I can have it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's, not, it's not just like, Oh, we'll have a little bit. It's like, yeah, yeah. we're free. So let's go. <laughs> going to make up for lost time. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what happens is that you go from having uh, a moderate amount to having no amount to having a large amount. And in that time, you've got a shift in your microbiome potentially, which has means that your ability for the microbiome to ferment and break down that, um, <laughs> that food is reduced. So then throw a lot into it and they're either, you know, going nuts fermenting because they're like, well, we haven't had this in a long time. Yeah. Um, or you just haven't got enough of the, the specific strains of bacteria that love to break down that um, and ferment that as well. So that's sort of one way to, to look at what could be going on there. And I guess a good way to test that would be to very gradually increase these increase. things once you've excluded them. Yeah, no, that's really cool. That was, that was, um, it was interesting to hear it broken down properly. And I'm sure heaps of people get, get a lot out of that actually because that's one thing that comes up a lot. And and what I was actually a question I actually had for you is obviously it's different in your situation, but what is your and this is a pretty open ended question, but what is your opinion on uh, gluten and dairy in terms of being so like a staple in people's diet that don't have an intolerance to it? Yes, I get asked this so often. Um, when, what it comes down to is sorry, I said I bet you do. Yeah, it's probably like number one question. Um, I, and I don't know why they're demonized so much. I think someone's, you know, got an ulterior motive. Um, but that's another question. Uh, but what it comes down to is how does that food make you feel? And have you done like what we just explained? Have you excluded it and then rapidly introduced it? And you've sort of mm. given yourself an anomaly where we don't actually know whether that's the true result. 
if a food is not giving you any negative effects of having it and it's a nutritious food, for example, um, you know, like a lot of dairy products are very nutritionally balanced foods, high in protein, high in calcium, low in fats. Um, and gluten can be found in some really good whole grain sources as well. So if the food is a nutritionally beneficial food and you've got no negative consequences from consuming it, aka it's not you know, making you feel unwell, you're not running to the bathroom after having it, then there's no reason why you shouldn't exclude it. Sorry, there's no reason why you should exclude it from your diet. If there's no negative consequences for yourself and you're only going to gain a nutrient benefit from having it, then definitely not worth excluding. And the evidence stands by that. In fact, what we're seeing with the gluten um, side of things is that including gluten in your diet actually sorry, increases the diversity of your gut microbiome because it means that you can get in a whole heap of other whole grains which are going to be feeding a whole host of other bacteria in your gut. If you're excluding gluten, those bacteria that like those whole grains are not going to be getting fed as well. Not going to be, yeah. That's interesting. And it's uh, something that, it come, that kind of I, I see, and I don't know if you're the same, but when people come to me and say that, you know, uh, the, the last, you know, X amount of weeks I cut out dairy or I cut out gluten and, you know, I lost X amount of weight and I feel really good um, and, and all this stuff, in my opinion, a lot of the time it's just because of the fact that they've reduced their calories. When you ask them what their nutrition looked like before they cut out the dairy or before mm. they cut out the gluten or even a whole macronutrient group such as carbohydrates, it's very clear mm. to see that by cutting all that shit out, all of a sudden their calorie intake is much lower. They've probably increased their their vegetable intake. They're probably eating a bit more protein. And uh, and it's that comes back to that correlation versus causation where you think that just because you take exactly. something out, whatever, that's fucking the magic pill and all of a sudden that's all there is to it. Um, yeah, and then there's always so many like confounding factors there. So like I so said, it's not even just like the calorie change. It's like uh, are they exercising, you know, because usually yeah. it's part of a like an eight-week challenge or something like that that they're doing it. So there's like... 20 other different variables that are thrown in there and it's like okay well we really can't draw this down to just cutting out dairy and you know if you did cut out dairy was it because you were out ice cream that you're having you know every day or you know was it when you cut out gluten did you cut out having pizza three times a week it's like cutting out the calorie dense foods and the highly palatable foods versus the actual nutrient per se exactly i guess Exactly. I agree a hundred percent. And I think you've probably touched on a couple of these already, but what are you, what are the, I guess, things that get, you get asked often, what do you reckon are the top three nutrition myths that you just think are absolute garbage that you wish more people knew about? Oh God, I've gone for if hours. You can it three. <laughs> yeah. So carbohydrates being fattening um, or the need to do a keto diet is probably in the top three there. Fuck, um, we just become friends, I think. Even more better yeah. friends before <laughs> um so yeah that would probably be number one um supplementation how beneficial and whether that be um you know whether that be like multivitamin or protein or collagen or greens like you know all of the different supplementation whether that's required or not um and then probably the third one would be around food intolerances just because i do work a lot with like the gut health space it would be around um you know what we've discussed already with the gluten and the dairy and other food intolerances as well awesome and what's your opinion on uh on meal timing one of the best ones i get is is not eating carbohydrates after 5 or 6 p.m or after dinner um what's what's your whole thoughts on that process 
Yeah, complete like complete rubbish. When calories are controlled for, there's not a significant difference between when you eat a meal and your weight outcome. So if you're sticking in a you know slight calorie deficit, then it doesn't matter what time of day you eat, whether you eat in the middle of the night or the you know middle of the day, you can absolutely still lose weight. Now, there is some research out there that shows that your insulin sensitivity is slightly worse in the evenings and during the night because of your circadian rhythm and, you know, mm -hmm. meant to be sleeping and everything. But when, it, when you actually look at the data and look at the effect that that has, it is so insignificant. So what I always say to people is like, yeah, okay, if you don't need to eat late at night, then don't eat late at night. And if you, you know, eating a lower, and when I say lower, I'm not saying no carbohydrate, but if eating a lower carbohydrate meal at nighttime is beneficial to you and you feel that that satiates you and um, makes you feel good, then great. But at the end of the day, it will not be the difference between losing weight and gaining weight or losing weight and maintaining weight um, at all. 100% and more often than not, the people that are worried about this in the first place haven't even got all the fundamentals right in terms of making sure yeah. they are in a calorie deficit in the first place or making sure they're getting enough protein or even exercising properly, but instead they're worried about eating fucking some rice or potato after dinner or at dinner time. Um, yeah, so I think probably the least of their worries. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest problem that I would probably see is that we're so worried about these like nuances of nutrition, this like little tiny details and you know these are the questions that i'm getting asked on a daily basis these tiny little details about oh well, mm. should i eat carbs at this time and you know what it, at the end of the day honestly it doesn't matter that much to so many of the questions that i get asked like and I, that makes it sound so much more simple than it is but the basics of i guess if we're thinking about you know like body fat losing body fat and everything the basics of that is get yourself into a slight not extreme calorie deficit and eat good food that you actually enjoy and the rest of it is so minute that you know we're looking at you know individuals that are in certain circumstances in you know special populations and those sorts of things and if i could answer most of my questions with you know what it honestly doesn't matter that much matter. that would probably <laughs> be the answer i would have to so many questions said that it's 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 in the end of the day it's not that simple but in a way it kind of is like as as you said like there's there's all these little questions that really have no relevance when people aren't taking care of the main things in the first place that if they were taking care of the main things and they probably wouldn't even be worried about this shit in, in in the first place like because they would be seeing better results they would be feeling better performing better um all that in the first place and you know probably i reckon probably one of the top questions i get and i'm sure you get this shit all the time as well is which protein powder to use to get ripped and which protein powder to use to get jacked <laughs> fortunately i don't get asked that one too much oh man the amount of questions <laughs> i get about which protein powder is going to work best for fat loss compared to muscle gain is unbelievable really that's so interesting no i get asked a lot uh do you need a protein powder but no i don't get asked the oh no or just which protein powder is the best um which but not <laughs> that specific that's now, impressive you, oh it is pretty it's impressive isn't it yeah some of the questions is unbelievable you uh you obviously have quite a large following and a lot of people that um rely on your content and your information and i'm sure a lot of people would be interested in this so how do you structure a day worth of meals uh, for yourself individually. And I know this has really no relevance to anyone else, 
but I'm sure people would be interested just to hear it anyway. Yeah. And I, I've sort of covered this on my Instagram before is that there's a reason why I don't, you know, overly share the specifics of my diet is because I am so, I change so much based on what I actually feel like on a day-to-day basis. So I don't really have um, a set, you know, I don't meal prep the same thing every week or anything like that. Uh, And I guess part of the reason was is because I don't follow, you know, I don't have strict goals. I'm not trying to get to a certain body composition. I'm not trying to, you know, achieve some uh, performance, you know, outcome or anything like that. So I'm not super strict with my diet um, in that sense. But um, in terms of like just the daily sort of intake, I I go through phases, I guess. So I'll go through phases where I'll eat the same thing for breakfast for, you know, a couple of months and similar things for lunch for a couple of months. And then dinners are always quite varied for me. So at the moment I'm going through a um, toast and Vegemite and avocado for breakfast phase. Um, <laughs> so that's every day on the repeat, um, gluten-free just because obviously I'm celiac. Um, lunches, my go-to is always tuna, rice, some sort of veggies or spinach, tomatoes, those sorts of things. So some sort of salad with tuna and rice um, or eggs if I haven't got any tuna. Um, snacks throughout the day. I'm not a huge snacker or when I do snack, and this is probably, again, could have fallen into actually my top three questions is snacking. Um, I keep it super basic. So snacks for me is either yogurt, fruit, nuts, boiled eggs, tin of tuna. Like I don't make recipes or anything like that for snacks unless you know i've been trying like trying different protein ball or something like that just for a recipe or anything but in general snacks for me is whole food snacks cool uh and then dinners vary quite a lot i try and do like vegetarian or vegan style dinners at least a couple of times a week uh otherwise it's like salmon and salad and potato or um stir fries, those sorts of things. Yeah. So quite mixed, but usually some combination of meats or vegetarian protein, um, veggies and some sort of carb. Awesome. You sound very much like myself. Like I tend to get stuck on certain meals. There's this cafe right near my work that does an extremely good grilled chicken, vegetable and rice like stir fry. And regardless of whether I've prepped food or not, I've been there every day for about the last two months. I can't stop going there. It's so good. Yeah, I, I definitely get in routines like that and then I get sick of it and I won't have it for like six months. Yeah, I reckon I've got about a week or two left in me and then I'm after changing <laughs> up. Um, what, I think I know the answer to this question, but it'd be good for the listeners to hear this. How does it differ for you or a client um, when you do want to change your body composition? So let's say how does a fat loss um, phase differ from a gaining or maintenance phase in terms of someone's nutrition? Yeah, so for me personally, um, there's sort of two ways that I would go about it. Um, And the way that I would go about it for myself is not necessarily something that I would recommend for my clients because of what I do with clients is I would definitely assess them obviously on an individual basis and see where they're at and meet them there and obviously go from that. For myself personally, there's sort of two ways that I'd go about it is one is identify the reason why I might like, you know, if I haven't been losing fat and I want to lose fat or identify the reason what that might be. And generally speaking for me, it's just because my portion sizes have increased or I've started snacking more because I've been extra stressed or, you know, doing those sorts of things. So it, yeah. I can identify quite easily within myself where I'm going wrong. And so first thing I'll just do is go, okay, well, 
you know, that's what I need to change. And, you know, this is what I'll do. Like, as in like, I'll just have these as my snacks and my dinner, I'm just not going to be stupid with my portion sizes or anything like that. So just making like those little lifestyle sort of changes. Um, the other thing is I do from time to time use like a, um, uh, like my fitness pal and I'll sort of throw in what I'm doing into there. I don't use it rigid, religiously, but sometimes it can be great just to identify for myself um, what I'm doing and sort of where I'm at. As I said, I don't use it religiously. Um, and I guess in terms of then for clients, like I said, it's meeting them where they're at and going from there, helping them to understand for them and then what is the next best step in that path? So, for example, is it looking at snacks? Is it looking at meals and portion sizes? Is it looking at, you know, tracking macros, calories, those sorts of things yeah. um, based on their individual situation and also their uh, other factors that play into it? So things like stress and their mindset and all of that. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that last bit as well because that's something that often gets overlooked is the fact that it doesn't always just come down to calories in versus calories out, although that, in, in I guess, in the end of the day is, is one of the ultimate factors. But when there are other things such as stress or or even just one of the things that comes up a lot for me is, uh, and even when I do have tr- clients tracking calories, is all the little extra things that don't get added in that people don't necessarily yeah. see as as something that wouldn't matter whether that be cooking oil, whether that be sugar in your coffee or tea or whatever it may be, um, can add up, especially over the span of, you know, six, seven days and make a big difference in terms of someone's body composition. And the thing I find with people with tracking calories is that they tend to stop tracking as soon as they fall off the wagon. Um, And I sort of do that in inverted commas because I hate that term. But what, what happens I I typically see is that if people are tracking calories as soon as they go oh well I don't really want to track that I'm going to stop they stop therefore anything goes because it's like well now no one knows what I'm doing and that itself. so they just it's not not, anyone else cares but But if I didn't track it it didn't count yeah exactly exactly so that's typically what I see with people who um who track calories is that you know they'll stop as soon as they have something that they know that they shouldn't be having um again, whole different, another question there about shouldn't, shouldn't, but you know, if they have something that they know is higher calorie and that they don't want to, you know, be admitting to themselves to having, then they'll stop tracking for the rest of that day and potentially for the next couple of days as well. And that's when their calories can potentially blow out is because they go this whole like, well, fuck it. Um, I've already ruined it. They might as well throw the phone out the window as well. Yeah. The term that I like using best for that one is coming out to your car with a flat tire and just slashing the rest of them. Yeah, so I use a very similar one. Mine is if you drop your phone and it gets a crack on it, do you then throw it out the window and smash it? <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, okay, I have a couple more questions before we wrap things up and I'll let you get back to the rest of your day. Um, what is something or maybe there's a couple of things that you wish more people knew about when it came to nutrition? Oh, what a great question. I... What am I going to say here? I wish that people understood that it is so individual in what works for you. So listening to anyone else's story of what's going on for them does not mean it's going to translate into something that works for you. And that means that you really need to get to know yourself in what influences your food decisions, what influences 
um, your behaviors, what motivates you, what makes you feel good, what don't you like, what do you like, and recognize that that may be complete opposite to what somebody else is doing, but it will be just it will be as effective, obviously more effective if it's tailored to you. So getting to know yourself rather than like looking to people on Instagram and everything for what everyone else is doing start to get to know yourself and what you actually like and what works for you rather than seeking sources from, you know, external motivation and those sorts of things. Fuck yeah. I love that. And again, it comes back to, you know, the, the most optimal approach, you know, quotation marks, optimal approach uh, on paper is never going to be optimal for you if you can't actually stick to it. So um, absolutely, making sure that it's going to fit into your lifestyle is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like what works for somebody might have the complete opposite effect for others. Like I've had people who've come to me and sort of show me pictures of Instagram influencers and said, Oh, can you give me a diet that's going to make me look like that? And it's like, well, even if you ate the exact same thing and trained the exact same way that that person did, you're not going to look the exact same like ever because you're not that person. (laughs) Yeah. You know, this is, again, it's another topic in altogether, but I don't think people should want to, you know what I mean? Like it's, you shouldn't want to look exactly the same as someone else or live the exact same life as someone else because they look that way. Like, uh, you know, you just mentioned it then everyone is different. Um, everyone's going to respond in different ways and everyone should want to be different than the influencers or models they see on Instagram. Yeah. And I mean, how miserable would life be if you were only eating a certain way to look like a certain somebody then you didn't even end up looking like them so it's just like one i'm not even eating the foods that i enjoy or training the way i like because i'm just doing what i need to to look like somebody else and i'm not even looking like that somebody else so it's like <laughs> yeah, that's just not a happy place it's a bloody miserable situation that is isn't it <laughs> uh, all right last question a lot of my listeners uh, are similar to me and yourself and like to get information that is evidence-based and it's not just um, you know, a bit of bro science that we've picked up through social media. So what are some, obviously apart from your own blog, what are some resources or places that you would send people to go to hear more about nutrition or a trusted, I don't know, website, podcast, blog um, that people could go and check out after today's show? Oh, great question. Um, there's, there's really not many out there. Um, <laughs> Sigma Nutrition do a great podcast, um, which is evidence-based um, nutrition. So that they're a great one. Um, obviously myself. Uh, I'll have all the links terms- to your stuff up in the show notes too. So for those that are listening, you'll be able to go and check out um, all of the extremely good content if you haven't already after the show. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm just trying to think who else. There's a couple of influencers or influencers or people on social media, I guess, that um, I also uh, recommend in terms of nutrition. It does get a bit, the people I follow, I guess, is quite uh, evidence heavy, so a bit science heavy. Um, so I don't know whether they're sort of general population. One website that is really useful for things like supplements is examine.com. It is good, um, isn't it? Yeah, so things like supplements, they think they do a, a fair bit of diet stuff as well, um, but that's a really good resource for evidence-based, um, evidence, sorry, evidence-based information about supplements and um, some common diets. Um, I'll have to have a think of a few more, but uh, yeah, so yeah, definitely. The, the influencer ones, I'll, I'll, um, I'll get you to send through to me and then I'll just have those in the show notes. So for those that want to look into it a bit more, um, considering that it is a bit more kind of sciencey or evidence-based stuff, if you want to look into it more, I'll have those in the show notes for you guys to check out. 
Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I've really enjoyed it. So I'm sure everyone else has enjoyed it as well and taken um, a lot of value from what we've had to talk about. No, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Unreal. So guys, if you've enjoyed today's episode and you've taken some value away from it, please do take a screenshot um, of today's episode and post it up on your Instagram story and tag us both. I'll have uh, both of our Instagram handles or usernames in the show notes below. Hope you guys are having a fantastic day and Marika, let's hopefully do another um, episode in the near future. We'll have to do one in person next time, I think. Yes, absolutely. I look forward to it. Amazing. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed to the Fitness Lifestyle Podcast already, please do. And I look forward to bringing you next week's episode.